You know, today is one of those days where it's just such a good reminder of the gift of church, not just as worship gatherings that we, we come together and in the, in the Holy Spirit binds us together, but as a family, a family of faith. And, and there have been so many moments already where we have been able to live out that family commitment to one another this morning, uh, to, to look at our children to speak to them about our confidence that the Word of God has already been shaping their lives and it's going to continue to shape their lives. To get to witness together, to share with the Andersons, not just in their their physical nuclear family, but for all of us as their brothers and sisters to get to participate. We don't just watch baptisms, church. We participate in those baptisms. Uh, it's, It's already been such a powerful day, and now we're going to gather together as a family around the table. Now, what we're going to talk about this morning can be a challenge because, you know, growing up in the Churches of Christ, at least for me, communion was was one of those moments in church, maybe each week it was the key moment in church that I felt like I really needed to be a part of. And I even saw some people, especially in the summer, in the church I grew up in, they would come to church and they would stay through communion because it almost always happened before the sermon. And then they'd, they'd duck out the back door, right? Because, because for them, there was a sense that if they could only be there for part of church, they really wanted to at least stay through the Lord's Supper. And I want us to think a little bit about that this morning. What do we believe is happening as we gather around the table that doesn't happen in other moments of our, our week. And this is, this is an outgrowth. Paul's still working through this key question for the church in Corinth, right? He's trying to tell them what are, what are the basics of church. And one of the things that church people do is they wrestle with what kind of difference should Jesus' way of life, and death, and resurrection make in this specific situation, in this specific moment, what difference should it make? Right? It's not just something we do because we have to. It's not just something we do because, you know, we, we see other people doing it. It's something that we're a part of because we believe it's shaping our souls and our lives in a very specific way. That It's helping us conform our life to this story of the gospel where we die to ourselves willingly, right? Well, we, we, we choose to be crucified, so that we can be raised into a new life, a new way of life that, that is so attractive to other people because it's a life that's founded on that resurrection hope. And I'm telling you, if there's one thing that you can't find anywhere else than in our faith, it's resurrection hope. Right? And so we live that out together. And, and God fully intends for that to draw the world to find out how can they live that way? How can they experience that resurrection power in their own lives? And so each week, regardless of what the sermon's about, we have carved out a time in our tradition. And and as you know, right, we're we're not the only church tradition that's out there. There's some churches that that take communion far less often than we do. Part of the thought there, as I've talked to people who belong to those church traditions, is that it makes it more special. I think all of us who may have grown up in the churches of Christ and have taken it every week, we know the temptation at times when you do something weekly and it's routine that you can start to do something on spiritual autopilot, which is not something we ever want to do. 
as we gather around the table of the Lord as God's people, but it happens. Uh, And then there's traditions where they don't just take it on the first day of the week, they take it often throughout the week, right? And and here's, here's the thing. I grew up convinced that of all the options that were out there, you know, we kind of felt sorry for those people because they got it wrong if they did it differently than we did it. I wasn't joking. I'm not, it's okay that you laugh, but I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant about it. I just was certain that we, you know, there was grace for them, but we were right. And so people needed to do it the way we did. And I heard sermons that were, you know, based on different texts throughout the scriptures that were, were talking about how the church celebrated communion, when it happened. And, and if you go to Acts, one of the things I'll, I'll let you know, Acts is, is not, as, as I have, as I've had more years on me, Let me just say it that way. I I am amazed that anybody could take the book of Acts and think that what it's showing us is the rule book and the predictability of church. Because the book of Acts is about God's people who are always three steps behind the Holy Spirit. And they're just trying to keep up. Right? And they're going places they never thought they'd go. And they're accepting people they never thought they'd have to learn how to accept. And they're they're just trying to keep up. Right? And so... As you look at Acts, there's all kinds of different moments and and examples of how the church celebrates this feast around the table. And it is obvious that they do it on the first day of the week, but it's not as clear that they only do it on the first day of the week. It's also not super clear exactly who all is invited to the table. You got your Bible and you want to look at this for just a moment. If you turn to Acts 27, there's the shipwreck. That's about to happen. Paul's with a bunch of sailors, and, and they're scared, and they're, they're nervous that they're not going to make it. And they haven't eaten in a long time, and suddenly, Paul calls them together and says, take heart. Right? God is with us as long as we stay together. I, I think this text in Acts 27 is actually about communion. It doesn't use the word, but it uses the formula. You wanted me to talk about formulas this morning, I'm sure. It's, it's the grammatical formula that shows up anytime in Luke or in Acts when communion's taking place that somebody takes bread, they break it, they bless it, and they share it. Right? That's code word for Luke for we're gathering around the Lord's table. Now what's interesting is they're in the middle of this sea and they're, they're being tossed back and forth. And there's no way that all of these sailors are committed believers the same way that Paul is, and yet Paul, because he wants to give them hope and he wants to help them experience that God is with them, guess what he does in the middle of a, of a storm wreck, a shipwreck in the storm? He takes bread and he blesses it and they share in it together because at least in that moment, it seems like that meal is an act of faith that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is going to protect them and carry them through. Now, I'm sure Paul talked to those soldiers, uh, those sailors. I'm sure talk, that, that, that they had conversation. I don't, we don't know what kind of relationship they had to faith in that moment. But Paul calls them together in a desperate situation, and they feast together. Now, you could argue, Jared, that the term communion doesn't show up here. Well, it doesn't show up all that often in Scripture. There's this description of people breaking bread. You remember the road to Emmaus, right? The two believers are walking, and they sit down with this stranger, and it's when they take the bread, and it's not they, it's he. He takes the bread, and he, he blesses it, and he breaks it. They realize Jesus has been with them all along. And that meal, 
that was supposed to be a normal meal turns into communion without them expecting it. Right? Luke's trying to teach us something about the power of us as the church gathering together, having a meal, and, and, and how that meal opens us up to the presence of Jesus in ways that maybe we're not always aware of. Okay, so, the church in Corinth is taking communion when they gather together, uh, but Paul finds out that the way they're taking communion is rendering it dangerous. It's a dangerous act of communion because it's more damaging than helpful. So let's read about Paul's reaction to that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Your time together at church is doing more harm than good. Man, that is a hard thing to have to listen to the Apostle Paul say to them. Verse 18, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it, because I know you, right? No doubt. You think that there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. This is crucial, church. They think they're, they're calling it that. They're doing what they think they're supposed to do. And he says, yeah, I know you call it that, but that's not actually what's happening. Because when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to this? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Those who are hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Okay, there's a lot going on here that I want to unpack uh, as, as plainly and as directly as I can. It is obvious, right, that the, the way they're celebrating communion is that because the church is small enough to fit in someone's home, the church is also of a size where they can gather together around a table. And they're having a meal. They're not having a snack. Okay, they're having a meal. Now, what we can't piece together, either from Scripture or from ancient sources, we, we know they had a meal. We don't know if during the meal, that the meal was called a love feast, we don't know if during the love feast they had a special moment where they then took some bread and some wine and they focused on Jesus and they talked about Jesus together and they, they thanked God for Jesus. We don't know if it was a part of the meal or if they considered the entire love feast communion. But we know that they had a meal together. And, and the whole church is gathered there. right? Young and old, uh, people who've been members from the beginning and people who are brand new, they're all there together. Now, uh, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 10, the chapter just before what we read, Paul says, look, this meal is a meal of commitment. You can't eat at the Lord's table and eat at 
at the table of demons or a table of, that, that belongs to an idol. This is a meal of commitment to Christ. It's, it's a meal of allegiance, right? And all of your allegiance goes to Christ. You don't have any left over to give anywhere else. This table reminds you of that. You've made a decision. Your hearts aren't divided. This is who you want to be. This story of who Jesus is and who Jesus promises us we can one day become, that's what, that's what we're doing when we get together. Now, here's what's going on. In the ancient Roman Empire, there were different kinds of public meals. Okay, now, uh, just to modernize it into our language, uh, <laughs> there was either brown bag or potluck. Are, are you with me here? Okay, and they're confusing the type of meal that Paul wants it to be. They're treating it like brown bag. So they're coming together for church, and, you know, if I happen, you know, to grill filet mignon before church, and then I put it in my Tupperware, and I bring silverware with me, and I bring, you know, some drink that I want that's, that's going to pair well with this filet mignon, and I'm going to get there uh, a little bit early, you know, because I have enough to eat that it's going to take a little while. But I also go to church with a slave. And that's exactly what happens in Corinth. And they get there late because their master didn't let them leave when the master said they were going to leave. And they get there, and maybe by the time they get there, there's not even a seat left at the table, so they have to stand. And then they watch the wealthy members of the church eat until... They're stuffed and overly full and, in fact, drunk. And then in the middle of this, they go, hey, come over here. We're going to do the, you know, the, the, the thing. We're going to do the, the ceremony here in the middle. Come over here. Here's some table bread and here's some, some cheap wine. Let's do the Lord's Supper while you're standing here. And Paul says, if you treat one another that way at church, I wish you wouldn't meet together. And I, I'm not going to let you call that the Lord's Supper. Because you are humiliating these people who come and have nothing. That's what he means when he says, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? And then he's still talking about them eating at church. What he wants those wealthy people to understand is the Lord's Supper is not brown bag, it's a potluck. And everybody brings what they can. And the honest truth is, sometimes some people can't bring anything. But the people who have enough to bring more to share... That's what they do at the Lord's table, right? Because, and this is the foundational truth for this week. The church is this Christ-centered community where everyone has a seat at the table and everyone shares at the table. Now, specifically, it can be physical sharing in this text. But he wants, them, he, he wants that to be a symbol of how much they're sharing everything in life. Right? Everybody has a seat at the table, and everybody shares at the table. Now, I realize when we talk about communion, we tense up. I mean, I do. I kind of tense up. I have a low bar for tensing up about things. Okay? <laughs> I get it. And part of it is because in our tradition, we have always treated communion First of all, and I love this about our tradition, like something is happening between us and God. That there's a special encounter that's happening, and I believe it. I don't believe, I, I want to tell you this, that God is more available to us during communion. I think it's that we're paying more attention 
to God's eternal presence. Something happens. It's why people stay through communion and then bolt out the door, right? If they have to go somewhere. They want to be there for that. I get that. I believe it. I'm convinced of it. Okay, but the challenge here is we're not in control of what's happening. And for me, a lot of worship growing up was, was controlling it so that I could get it right, so that I could please God and feel worthy. And I was super nervous anytime we change anything in worship because it may mean that we're getting it wrong and then, and then we're not going to please God and God's going to get angry at us, right? I, I get all that. But the problem is Christian worship is not about proving that we can control things strictly enough that then we do it exactly right so that we unlock God's grace. That's Christian worship is where we encounter God's grace and we thank God for the grace that he continues to give us that we've done nothing to deserve or unlock. Okay? So, when we come together for communion, uh, the first thing is we can't take good communion with that stuff we've been using. (laughs) So this morning... This morning, we're going to have Allison's bread. That's not really what it's called, but it's what I call it. (laughs) Allison has a team of people that bake this bread. I mean, these pieces of bread are an act of love from a sister and a team in Christ. Right? That matters. Hey, now, what what I want us to wrestle with a little bit here is this isn't, I always, you know that verse, the only verse out of what we just read that I really cared about growing up was, I know what time it is, I'm hurrying, uh, was examine yourself so that you don't eat and drink judgment on yourself. You know that verse? That's the verse I stumbled over, but I never focused on discerning the body of Christ. So when I first started taking communion, and and I'm going to get back to that in a second, but I thought what I had to do was control my thoughts and focus them like a laser on Jesus on the cross and the sacrifice he made, and I didn't want you to distract me, and if my sisters distracted me, I was ugly to them so that I could pay more attention to Jesus. Probably not the best approach, right? So, but they were distractions. Communion for me would have worked better if I had been alone taking it. If that's how we're taking communion, it's not the Lord's Supper. Right? That's what Paul would say. If you can do this by yourself without any connection, and, and I'm, I'm talking, there are people right now that are joining us online, but they're joining us. Right? It's something we're opening our hearts up to other people. You know, sometimes I, I feel people will complain that we sing during communion sometimes because it distracts them from being alone with Jesus. The church is supposed to distract you from being alone with Jesus. We're together with Jesus. That's the point. That's why it's okay when babies cry. I'm pretty sure God sees that as worship. I mean, I would. Okay, so. Here's the thing. This is God's feast, and it's God's invitation. And God doesn't need bouncers at the table. Okay? And, and I kind of thought growing up, I had to figure it out, I had to do it right, and I, I, want, I was obsessed with making sure the wrong people weren't accidentally getting to the table. The churches of Christ have always practiced what's called open communion, 
which means we don't have bouncers at the table. There are some traditions where if you haven't been baptized into that church tradition, you're barred from taking communion. You know, if you've ever visited one of those churches, how does that feel in that moment when everybody else gets to go? And because you're a Church of Christ member and you don't, you don't get to go, right? It feels like you're being held at arm's length. That, I think I understand the intention. I do. I relate to it. But it's not our invitation. It's not our table. It's God's invitation. It's God's table. Now, it is a table of commitment. Just as much as I think I love our tradition of believer's baptism, I think this is a believer's meal. I think that's what he means in 1 Corinthians 10 when he says, you don't go to two tables, you go to one table. There's a, there's a level of commitment here, but when I was growing up, it was clear as day. The only way I could take communion is if I'd been baptized. In fact, there was a stretch probably from the time I was about seven to nine where the only reason I wanted to get baptized was so that I could take communion with my parents during church. My dad kept saying, son, that is not enough, man. So then my mom bought us matzo crackers and grape juice at home so me and my sisters could play church in the backyard so that we could pretend like we were a part of the community. And I look back on that, I can't prove it, but I would love to believe that God communed with us in the backyard. So here's the thing. We're about to take this, and it's a really personal decision. Do do you believe in the body and the blood of Jesus? Do you understand some idea of what it means? Right? This is a believer's meal. I don't know that it's as simple as if you've been baptized, you're already in the headspace and heart space to take it this morning. I'm not sure that's true. Because, by the way, if you're feasting at other tables during the week, you've got a problem. If you're feasting at the table of greed or power or control, you've got a problem, you and I. We've got to make a decision again. Do we want to come back to this table and only this table? But I just want to say to you, it's okay if we don't have it all figured out in clean categories that we can defend against other people. That's not the point of church. The church is to come together as God's people and recommit ourselves again to trying to live like Jesus. And I got to tell you, we struggle with this language in our tradition. We talk like when you get baptized, you're a brand new Christian. You're not. You're a newly committed Christian. If you grow up in church at 8 and 9 and and 10 years old and you haven't yet gotten baptized, I don't think you're a little pagan. (laughs) You're a part of our church. You are newly committed in a covenant relationship that you have formally agreed to. I get that that's different. I believe that with my whole heart, that that's the moment of baptism. But here's the thing about this meal. Man, I'm trying to hurry. Okay. It's not a funeral that we enact week after week after week. It's the funeral meal. You've been to those, right? Have you been to a funeral meal? It's the best part of a funeral. Right? Because you've gotten through all the formal stuff, and you get to be together, and you share stories, and you laugh, and you cry, and the spirit of that person is in that room with you. Right? I mean, they're there. And so the past is like breaking into your present at a funeral meal. And you're together. You're not alone. You're together. I'm getting help with this sermon over there. Okay, so you're together. Now, 
it's not only like a funeral meal. It's also like a rehearsal dinner. Right? Because it's not only that the past is breaking into our present, it's that this good future is breaking into our present. We just sang it together. That feast that we anticipate, that for which we wait, that feast of the Lamb that we're going to have in heaven forever, that this is a foretaste of that. It's why we had to have Allison's bread this morning. Because that feast isn't going to have any styrofoam at it, I promise. <laughs> right? It's about the past and it's about the future. And in terms of a commitment, this morning, I know it's really personal as a parent, whether you're going to let your kid participate this morning, I just want to tell you this. I think for some of us, this is a meal of commitment. And for some of us, it's, it's, a, it's a commitment we're reminded of in our past. Right? I, I think back to when I was baptized at 13. I think about it every week when I take communion because I think I'm reaffirming what I said I wanted to do and be. But I also am starting to wonder as I get older, could it also work looking towards the future where I participate in this meal anticipating the day when I will make that covenant promise myself that Jesus made to me before I ever made a promise to anybody for anything. Here's the thing. If you don't take the bread and the cup this morning, we are going to feast on fellowship. And everybody, I want everybody in the room who can handle this to do this. So skip some slides, Nate. we got to save time. Go to the one where the first question's at the top. Okay, here's what we're going to do. And, and if you're an introvert like me, I'm going to apologize to you for three minutes of awkwardness that I promise you will not kill you. Just push through. I want everybody in this room to pick somebody to talk to. And it can be someone in your immediate family. I get that. But if we all do that, we're going to leave people out. And that's not the Lord's Supper, right? So... Some of us are going to have to push past this social awkwardness stuff, right? I want you to pick a person. If your kid needs to come with you to be a part of the conversation with another adult, that's great. First question, what would you say is most life-giving in your life right now? What's most life-giving? I would say every Sunday when we get to gather together and I'm not preaching to three cameras all by myself is something I am deeply thankful for. And it's life-giving to me. Okay, what would you say? I want you to think about it because you're going to share it in a moment. What's most life-taking? It's that every Sunday afternoon, I had this idea of the sermon I was going to preach. And it never happens. And only I know how much better it was going to be than what I pulled off. No, it's that sense that maybe we didn't do enough. right? Maybe we, maybe we missed some opportunity. Maybe... Maybe there was somebody here who was desperate and barely holding on, and I didn't speak a word of hope that would give them a chance to keep holding on. Right? I don't know. What's, what, what's life taking for you? Is someone in your life sick? Are you worried about your job? Did you lose somebody? And then third, how would you like me to be in prayer for you in the coming week? You're not alone. Right? So I'm, I'm going to give you three minutes. I mean, this is quick. Right? This is similar to the amount of a feast that we're able to have on Sunday mornings. It's just a little conversation, but it's so much more communal than anything I've ever regularly done during this feast that we have, this meal that we have as God's people. I want you to think right now about somebody you can answer these questions to. And because you're both talking, it, it, you don't just have three minutes. You have a minute and a half to talk. 
and a minute and a half to listen. So like, you're, you got to be on a mission here. Are you with me? And I'll tell you how you can pray for me. Pray for me that I will continue to believe that this is God's church more than it belongs to any single one of us. Okay? You with me on this? I'm going to give you three minutes. Are you thinking of somebody you can talk to? Okay. Get up. Let's do this. It's about to get crazy and loud again for a second. Um, so again, before we decide to come and get the, the bread and the cup, I don't, if, if I said anything this morning that for you as a family is complicating this conversation with your children, I, again, I believe this is a table of belief and commitment. I just believe that our children are able to believe and commit before they fully believe and fully commit in, in the form of baptism. And so we, we got to wrestle with that. And we don't want to turn an act of worship that's supposed to be about welcome and embrace into something where we hold some people at arm's length and leave them out. Uh, and I don't think we intend to do that, but I think at times it can feel that way. So here's what I'll tell you. Before COVID, Lauren and I, just as a practice, had decided that the girls were only going to take communion after they've been baptized. It's absolutely connected to baptism, okay? I'm, I'm not trying to disconnect them. I'm just saying, can't it be connected to baptism before your baptism? And we just didn't, we worried about it, right? We wanted them to have an understanding. But during taking communion at home and during COVID, we were able to talk in ways as a family where it would have felt really unnatural for Lauren and I to take communion and just have them watch, Okay, so we, we invited them in, and when we came back, we asked them not to do that out of sensitivity to offending people here, because it's not our goal to make anybody feel uncomfortable, and we know that people have different theological takes on who, who can partake in, in communion, okay? So Reese doesn't take communion every week. Is she too young to take communion? Absolutely. And I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. And I have that wrestling match all the time. And what I don't want is for us to have moments in church where people are told, uh, not you, not now. So even if it's just this morning, maybe think about it. Okay? So we're about to take it together. I need you to get up. There's seven tables. There's tables upstairs. Get a piece of bread and a Dixie cup with grape juice in it, and we're going to take it together as a family, okay? Don't run anybody down, uh, but let's get up and, and get the, uh, the elements, the bread and the cup. Here, here's what I want us to hold on to when we're about to take this. My guess is for most of you, uh, this is somewhat unsettling and different. And for those of you who might be worried about it, we're not doing this this way next week. <laughs> okay, but, but here's what I want you to, to focus on. We are going to have Allison's bread from here on out, by the way. So, but uh, have you ever had to deal with the body of Christ during communion this much? Ever? Have you ever had to look at this many faces and talk to this many people? And I haven't. And I know it was kind of chaotic, but it was also beautiful to see you talking to each other, 
smiling at each other, greeting one another. That's all a part of this feast that we're invited to. It's God's invitation. It's not my invitation. It's God's invitation. And so as we take the, the bread and the cup together here in a moment, I want you to not only think about Jesus and his sacrifice, I want you to think about this family of sacrifice that we've been called to. And the sacrifice we make is we don't ignore one another. We bear one another's burdens. We see one another. We embrace one another. Man, I'm so thankful. I'm not even a hugger. And I, COVID did something to me where I want to hug people. I want to embrace them. So I'm going to pray in a moment. But, but after that, as you take the bread and the cup, I want you to bring the person who spoke to you and told you how to pray. for. I want you to bring them to Jesus with you. Hold them in your heart. This is communion. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your son, for the fact that he closed the distance between you and us, and he closed the distance between us and other people, and we thank you that in this moment, we all of us, all, all of us who have faith and believe and we want to be committed to you, God, help us in this meal to experience a renewed commitment. Whether it's a baptism that we're remembering or a baptism that we're anticipating, God, we want to be people who are washed clean. And we want to be people who bear one another's burdens because of of who you are and who you've made us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's feast together. You know, there's there's a meal that we're going to get to eat someday. And everyone who's ever believed and everyone who's ever been committed and everyone we've loved and lost, there's going to be a seat for them at that table. And there's going to be a chance for them to share. And can you imagine the stories they're going to tell us? This is church. It's family. And I'm so thankful that each one of you are a part of it. Welcome to the table of the Lord. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, I want you... Pardon? Oh. Thanks. And as we do, I just want you to make a plan. I mean, as we're singing, if you got to pull your phone out, to, if it's not in your phone, it doesn't happen, get your, I'm giving you permission. Set a daily reminder to pray for this person who you just asked, how can I be in prayer for you? Those can't just be words. It has to be who we really are. Let's stand together and sing.